Classes start at 645. So if you want to come out and be part of it, know somebody that needs to be part of it, or volunteer, please let us know. The second thing is our hope ministry that happens here on Friday nights. What time does that start, Melinda? 6.30. This is for those that are dealing with depression, dealing with loss or hopelessness. You're walking through some dark times. I'm telling you, come out. Get yourself connected with some people that can help walk you through this. Amen? The last thing, uh, we've got a Christmas play. In the 10 years that I've, I've been pastor here, we've never really put on a Christmas play. Uh, this year, we're doing an original. Uh, we're doing one that is loosely based upon the life of Jonathan uh, Linden and my brother Casey Goins. Um, and we actually, Jonathan and Mariah were actually interviewed for today's message. But when we, when we got our, our uh, footage, there were some sound issues, and we could not play it today. So we're going to do that again and play you the interview because powerful testimony uh, about coming out of this lifestyle that we're talking about today. Uh, there are no jokes today because this is a sensitive subject all the way around. Because I'll, tell, I'll be the first to say this, and I've been a part of the church my whole life. The church has done a terrible job addressing this. We, our approach to the LGBTQ community has been done very poorly. Uh, and, and I'll be the first uh, to admit that. And you may say at the end of this, you may say, well, it's still done poorly. But it seems like the church has, we've got two extremes that we lean on. We've got the extreme over here that uh, a poster child for this side would be a group called Westboro Baptist Church. In fact, you want to visit their website, here it is, godhatesfags.com. That's their website. They show up, and they'll say, a fag dies, God laughs. So you've got that side. And if you're here to hear that kind of message, you are SOL today. And get somebody to explain that to you. My wife's looking at me. She knows what it means. That's why she's looking at me. But then you've got this extreme over here that is all love, all acceptance. Hey, God loves you. We accept and affirm your lifestyle. In fact, we'll even let ministers, uh, you, we'll ordain you as a minister, even if you're actively in this lifestyle. And if you came to hear that kind of message, you're out of luck. Because here's what I think, whatever extreme, both extremes, they break the heart of God. They break the heart of God. So what is your side, PK? Well, I think I told you on day one when we started this series, Hot Topics, it doesn't really matter what I think. What does God think? What does God say? And I'll even add to this. It doesn't matter what Bill O'Reilly, Bill Maher, Beyonce, Lil Nas X, Cardi B, our president, our governor, your favorite TikTok star, YouTube star, or anybody else. It does not matter what they think when it comes down to the subject. All that matters is what God says or thinks about it. So, 
But here's what I believe the church is, if you're taking notes, the church's greatest need when it comes to this subject is this, a combination of biblical conviction and personal compassion. Biblical conviction and personal compassion. Can we get this up on the backboard? Then somebody find Bob and find out what's going on with it. Why is it so important that we have biblical conviction and personal compassion? Because whether you are aware of it or not, there are people you interact with on a daily basis, some family, some co-workers, some you go to school with that are struggling with same-sex attraction, that are struggling with gender identity. Whether you want to admit it or not, you've got people that you do life with. There are parents in this room. There are parents watching online that knows the feeling of a child coming to them and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. And they love that kid. But now they're trying to figure out, how do I respond to that? What do I say? What do I do? Do I tell anyone or do I just keep my mouth shut? And maybe you've been attending here for a while or watching us online or maybe this is your first time and you want to know, well, and you're struggling with that issue and you may want to know, well, what does Watsmark Community Church, what do they believe about my people? What do they believe? Where do they stand on people that are like me? What do you believe about someone that I dearly love that is struggling with this issue? Let me say this, if you've been affected by either extreme, I want to apologize and say I am sorry. That was not and is not the Father's heart towards you. Are you hearing me? I believe that the Father, God, I believe that he is grieved by the pain and the mistreatment on the gay and lesbian community by anyone, especially the church. But on the other hand, if you've been a part of a church that really didn't have the, I'm trying to say this politically correct, cojones, is that a correct way? <laughs> to do an honest examination of what the Bible does say about it. If you've been part of a church that is all love and approving of your life, no matter what the Bible says or your behaviors, I want to apologize and say I'm sorry because I believe it grieved the Father's heart that someone was not honest with you about what he says. So what is God's heart for people? Well, well I believe the most popular verse in the Bible uh, well, tells, us, tells us what God's heart is for people. It's a verse you see at ball games. You see it on poster boards. You see it tattooed. You see it on T-shirts. And it's this. When they pull it, I want you to say the first six words of this verse with me. For God so loved the world. Say it again. For God so loved the world. Let's, let's start right here. It doesn't say, for God so loved those that have it all together. It doesn't say, for God uh, so love those that will never sin again. Or for God, God so love those that are in heterosexual relationships only. It doesn't say, for God so love those that are living according to their biological sex. No, it said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Well, to have a better understanding of that verse, we need to go to Romans 5. Because if we want to understand God's love, we, we need to know what it means when God says he loved the world. Because our view of love in our culture and society has gotten very skewed. Our, our love, when we say I love, is contractual or it, it's uh, transitional. I love you as long as you do what I want you to do. I love you as long as you do this or don't do that. And, and we've, we've confused love with feelings and emotions. So I want us to look at what God's definition of love is. Romans 5, starting with verse 6. When we were utterly helpless... In other words, when we had nothing to offer, we had nothing to give in return. One version says when we were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save ourselves. When we had nothing to offer God, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, would, now would anyone dare die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone would die for a noble person, but Christ Prove God's passionate love for us by dying in our place, get this, while we were still lost and ungodly. Another version says, Christ died for us while we were still enemies of God. God loved us. God loved you, me, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still enemies of God. And if God loved us while we were still those things, who are we not to love others that are in a broken state? I think that's why Paul reminded us, uh, some people of this fact in Romans 2, 4b. He said, do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into his presence? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. For too long, the church has shown this community everything but the kindness of God. We've shown them hatefulness. We've acted like we were better than them. They were less than. But let me say this, and I can't speak for other churches, but as long as I am the pastor of Watts Bar Community Church, that will not be said about us. If anything, they will say, man, those people are too kind to that community. And I do not need your applause because I would rather be known by God as a community, as a church that loved everyone right where they are than as a bunch of people that hates anyone different from them. So what does the Bible say about the subject? Well, I want to look at, first off, I want to look at two passages that usually get thrown out. This is the passage that if, if, if somebody's going to talk to you and tell you it's wrong, it's these two passages. 1 Timothy 1, 9-11. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It's for people who are lawless, rebellious, ungodly, sinful, who consider nothing sacred. They defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. 
That's one passage. The other passage that gets used is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortionists will inherit the king of God. Those are the two passages that typically get used. Here's one of the biggest arguments that's going on right now, and you can Google this. Is this, well, Kelly, the word homosexual is not in the Bible. It actually did, and here's the truth. It, it did not make its way into the Bible until 1946. The word that got translated, there were two words that, that, that are used in these passages that got translated. Bring up those two words for me, and I will not try to pronounce them. Here's why they're, they're loosely translated. These words, they mean effeminate, pervert, or sexual pervert. And they took those three words and said, hey, a better word for that is homosexual. Let's put it in here. So 1946 is when we start seeing the word introduced into the Bible. Uh, there, there was a study on this word, uh, uh, or on these two passages, done by West Star Institute. And here's what that article said. This, and this is not a Christian organization. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10 lists certain types of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. It lists such people as fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, and it ends with thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revelers, robbers. Near the middle between adulterers and thieves are the two Greek word, words that gets translated in the New Revised Standard Version as male prostitutes, or that is homosexual male prostitutes, prostitutes and sodomites. But no special emphasis is placed on these people. They are simply listed among the others. The article goes on to say this. In any case, neither of the catalogs, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, or 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, neither of those single out homosexual activity for any special attention. They just list in mis miscellaneous fashion various types of behaviors that are regarded as unacceptable. I agree Totally. Those passages there, even with the word homosexuality in there, they do not attack homosexuality by itself. Or are you hearing me? They don't call them. What Paul does, he lists a group, a, a, a list of things that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. And those are in the middle of, of what he says. So they're not an attack on just those two things. Are you, are you hearing me? But what he says in verse 11 gives me so much stinking hope, man. After he lays out this long list of those that won't get in heaven, look what he says in verse 11. Some of you were just like that. Paul looks at them and says, guys, hey, before you get on your high horse, some of you were effeminate. Some of you practiced this lifestyle. Some of you uh, were adulterers, fornicators, adulterers, thieves, liars. Some of you were just like that. But 
You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So here's what I'm saying. That's not an attack on homosexuality. In fact, I believe that's a proclamation that through Jesus, you can be set free of whatever your vice is. Well, PK, but it's still not. The word is still not mentioned in the Bible. Well, let's look at some other passages and see what Paul and Jesus had to say about this. In Romans 1, Paul's talking about God being angry at sin and the toll that it's taken on people. And in Romans 1, verses 18, 18 through 20, Paul begins to say this, and you can read it. He says, man, the truth is obvious to everyone. God, the way God has worked, he's made it obvious to everyone. In fact, then he says this, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. He's like, the way God has made it, there is no excuse to deny God. But then this is where it gets scary in Romans 121. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. Look at the next part. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. In other words, they began to worship their idea of who God was. The Bible says this, we were created in the image of God. So what Paul is saying, what is happening is they began to make God into their image. What they wanted God to be like. And look what happens. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. That word God, when it says God abandoned them, that is, a, that is not a great translation of what that word means. The, the, word, the, the Greek word that gets translated there means this, to permit or to allow. One commentary said this, when, the, when a fruit is allowed to ripen. So what Paul was saying was, hey, listen, so God allowed them. God allowed you, okay, I'm trying to cut this root out of your life. I'm trying to cut this out, but you want it so bad. There you go. There you go. Verse 25. And they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned or allowed them to their shameful desires. Now here we go. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. I don't think we need the word homosexual put in there 
to know what they're talking about. I think it's semantics. So today, I want to approach this, though, from a different angle. I really believe when I began to study, I've got more notes for this message than any message I've preached because we've got people in our church that are dealing with this or struggling with this. I've got friends, I've got family that are struggling with this. And I'm like, God, I, I want to know what you have to say about it. And I really felt like Holy Spirit led me in a direction. Here's what I believe when it comes to the LGBTQ community. At its very core, I believe it is an identity crisis. I believe that the culture that has created this identity crisis started in the garden, though. I, I want to show you what, what, what I mean. Because here's why it's important to look at it from this angle. I hear a lot of people saying a phrase, I, I, and I've used it before, I'm just being authentic. Anybody heard that? Authenticity matters, Kelly. I'm just being authentic. Can I tell you, I, I completely agree with you. Authenticity does matter. But I believe we need to look at what the word really means. Here's what authentic means. To counterfeit or copy, or not counterfeit, or copy. Being what it is claimed to be, what it was designed and intended to be. So if we're going to talk about authenticity, we need to go back to the origin of who we were created to be and the image that we were created in. Pastor Ben said this this past Wednesday night, that every superhero, every uh, villain has an origin story. I believe creation has an origin story. Uh, and I believe it's found in Genesis. Look at Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What? He created them. Here's the origin. Here's the authenticity. God made us in the image of God. Male, female, man, woman. Paul in his teaching, he refers back to this origin when he says God made man, man and woman. He made husband and wife. Jesus himself refers back to the origin story in Matthew 19, 4, 5. Look what Jesus says. Haven't you read at the beginning, the creator, my father, made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus said, hey, guys, the creator, my father, God himself, he created the origin, the map, the way of life, the way the law, male, female, husband, and wife. So what happened, P.K.? Well, if we go back to the origin of what God created or intended us to be, said he created us in the image of God. He created them to be male and female. He told them to be fruitful and what? Be fruitful and multiply. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When God said, hey, go be fruitful and multiply, he wasn't telling them to go cuddle. He was saying, hey, go have sex and make babies. That's what he was saying. Now, I'm a GED graduate, but simple biology tells me that you cannot multiply or make babies within the same sex. It takes a man, it takes a woman. 
And God created Adam and Eve, put them in charge of the Garden of Eden, told them, hey, you've got rule over every beast, every creature, and then look what God said about it. Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, including man and woman, the image, those created in the image of God, and said, it was very good. Chapter 2 goes into a little more detail of creation. It says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him. Uh, that was verse 7. A few verses later, God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me make for him a helper. Let me make for him somebody that can tell him he's wrong. Uh, then Hey, let me mark that down today. It's like that one joke. Let me. <laughs> but then four verses later, God takes one of Adam's ribs, creates a woman. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. You know where we get that word woman? When, when Adam saw this naked female for this time, he said, whoa, man. That's a dad joke. I'll take you. Listen. I don't need you to laugh. I laugh my own. But that is the origin. This is how God created it, designed it to be. Then he goes on, Genesis 2, 24, 25. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife, get this, were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both what? And they felt no shame. Why did they feel no shame? Because they were in a relationship God created, the origin of what God had created. And when you're walking in what God created and designed you to be, there is no shame. Well, Kelly, I don't have any shame. I mean, I don't feel any shame. I, I sleep with whomever I want, man, woman, both. Is that what, because that's the way God designed me? No, listen to me. It's that this culture has traded God's truth for a lie. And over the years, we no longer see it as a lie, but we've accepted it as truth about who we are. Here's where it started, Genesis 1-3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? In other words, hey, did God really mean what he said? I, I mean, I know, but did God really mean that? I mean, God wouldn't put you in an environment where you knew you'd be tempted to do something if he didn't want you to do it. Did God really say? And see, he didn't just get her to question what God said once. He, you read it, it was over and over, him getting her to question. And then finally, look at verse uh, 2 through 6. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. That's true. God did say that. And she adds this, though. And you must not even touch it or you will die. God didn't say that. He didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat of the fruit of these. But here's what the enemy does. He gives us one little lie. 
And that, be that begins to confuse us about what God actually did say. And it begins to translate things. And we hear God says this, but by the time it gets through that filter, God has said something completely different. The servant responds back to her. You won't die. Come on, you're, you're not going to die. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you're not going to die. God's just trying to keep something good from you. And look what happens next after only a couple of lies from the enemy. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. The woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Where did she get all that information from? The serpent. The devil. He fed her that information. She believed it. Then she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That was the fall of man. What happened after they sinned? What, what, what did they do? They do what we do. They ran from God. They went and tried to hide from God. And what did, what did God do? God does what he does. He came looking for them. Come on, what does God do after we fail or after we slip back into addiction or we messed up? God does what he does and comes looking for us. And here's what Adam says. And here's the thing. It's not like, you know God knew where they were, right? I mean, he's God. But here's the thing. God can't save you until you acknowledge where you are. Are you hearing me? He cannot set you free until you acknowledge that you're bound. And Adam says, we heard you walking in the garden. Get this. We were naked and ashamed, so we hid. Hold up. The previous, right before this, the chapter before it says, they were naked and felt no shame. And they were in, God was right there with them. Now, they're, they're naked, they're feeling shame and fear, and they're hiding from God. What happened? They bought into the lie of the enemy. This next part is what I really want you to hear, because this is how God, when they say we're naked, we were ashamed, we were afraid, so we hid. Look what God says back to them, verse 10. And he, God said, who told you you were? In other words, who told you that? Because that did not come from me. I know everything about you. I created you. So, and, and I know this. What you just told me did not come from me. So who told you that? This is the beginning of an identity crisis and a fight for us to be who God says we are and who God created us to be. Since, we, since we've been in 1 Corinthians, let's move because I've got so much. Let's go there again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
Before I go here, let me say this. Y'all, if you know me very long, you know I am not the type of person that sees a demon behind every door. I'm not that just something happens and I automatically assume, oh, there's something spiritual behind it. No, I'm, I am very, I'm, I'm a Christian skeptic. Let me just say that. Like, I remember this uh, when this video uh, was going around of Lee University, remember that? And, and it was shown at our church about they were ministering, the, the Lee singers were ministering. And, and on this video, you see this person in a, dressed all in white, and he's standing kind of headed. Well, everybody said, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. You know what? Well, here's what I said, because we had a guy in our church that looked like Jesus. I said, that would be like if Terry Lemonian was standing up there in the altar, dressed in white, everybody would be saying, it's Jesus, and I know it's Terry Lemonian. That's the kind, I, I'm just saying that. So you know, I am not, I'm not that person, but I really believe God has got, says something. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14, 33. God is not the author of what? Come on, God's not the author of what? but of peace. If God is not the author of confusion, if he was not the creator of confusion, who was? Absolutely. I'll tell you what I believe happened, and I can't back this up with theology. This is just my mind going on a little rant. Because, you know, Satan, he, Lucifer, when he was in heaven, he was called Lucifer. He was the, this gorgeous animal, animal, angel. He was this gorgeous angel. He's this, the Bible says he's this beautiful angel. And he was actually the, the worship leader of heaven. That's what he did. He, his, his, his whole thing was made up of different instruments. And he was like the worship leader in heaven. Well, then he has this rebellion. He thinks he's God. And he goes, I'm this, I'm this. So he gets kicked out of heaven along with his followers. Here's what I, this is where my mind goes. Is I can imagine in the garden, God leaning over to form Adam. He's molding him. And I imagine Lucifer Satan is like, what's God doing? So he comes up to get a closer look. And he leans over and he sees God forming this. And he's like, that looks a lot like me. God is making my replacement. God is creating someone else to sing praises and to worship him and to declare his glory. And I believe that's when he went into this mode. No, I'm going to confuse the people about who they are, what they are, that they're no longer the image of God. And I believe he began to go into this mode of confusion. I'm telling you guys, the more I say the word of God and I dig in, I believe that the author of confusion, Satan has unleashed a spirit of confusion that is running rampant in our world. Read an article from a New York Times writer, non-Christian, lady named Pamela Paul. The article is called Gay Versus Queer. And she talks about why we should use the word gay instead of queer. She says this, there is a fundamental incoherence in an alliance that requires affirmation of the gender binary in the L, G, and B. In other words, it requires us to recognize there's a man, a woman, gay, straight. But, she says, whilst emphatically, 
emphatically denying it in the T and the Q. She says this queer theory is about deliberately breaking down normative categories around gender and sex, particularly binary ones like men and women, straight and gay. Saying you're queer could mean you're gay, it could mean you're straight, it could mean you're undecided about your gender or that you prefer not to say. Saying you're queer could mean as little as having kissed another girl in your sophomore year of college. The article goes on to say this, in short... Queer theory means that you could be saying anything you want about yourself and therefore communicating nothing stable or meaningful at all. Then I want you to look what this non-Christian says. Confused? You should be. The whole goal of adding all the letters, the LGBTQ+, is made to confuse people more than it is to bring clarity. God is not the author of confusion. See, you need to hear this. We're not battling a gay agenda. We're not battling an LGBTQ plus agenda because I love that community of people. I, I, I believe, and listen, I, I believe they are made in the image of God, and I believe it breaks God's heart when we don't treat them as such. You want to know what we're up against? Turn with me to Ephesians 6.12. Paul says this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you've got a Bible, underline that word principalities. Because I'm going to tell you what it literally means in the Greek. The Greek word, bring that up for me, R-K. Beginning, the origin, elementary teaching, first preaching. Paul uses this same word in Philippians 4, 15 when he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when I first preached this to you, the beginning, same Greek word used in Ephesians 6, 12, beginning, Origin, elementary teaching, first preaching. Here's what Chris Valton in his book, Heavy Rain, says about this word. In the same way that Paul taught the Philippians about the origins, the foundations, the beginnings of life, there is a principality named R.K. that is in charge of redefining the foundations of all truth. That's what we're fighting against. Not a person. But it is a spirit, a principality whose whole job is to redefine the foundations of all truth, the origin, how God laid it out, how God said it should be. I believe this principality's whole agenda is to redefine the origins so that people no longer believe or see that they were created in the image of God. I mean, where else have we seen this twisting of the foundations of truth? Redefining the origins of truth. Well, the abortion rights have caused people to question the origin of human life. When does life begin? When does it begin? 
This principality has convinced people, even Christians, that a human fetus is just tissue which can be disposed of without any consequences. If a woman, woman gives birth to it, it's a baby. But if she aborts it, it's just fetal tissue. What has happened? Redefining the foundations of truth. The Spirit is causing people to question their, the origin of their gender. What is a man? What is a woman? It's odd to me that you can have a penis and be biologically male, yet if you feel like a female, then you are one. Can I say this? That should be offensive to every biological woman there is. That just because you feel like a woman, suddenly you are a woman. I could go on. Let me stop there before I get on this in my head. That is the power of the Spirit at play today. Things that should be simple takes only rational concept that convinces normal people that it actually makes perfect sense. Look at the passions paraphrasing of Ephesians 6.12. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. Realms, for they are a power class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Paul said, listen, you need to understand what's in play here. That, that, that there's a demonic spirit that has been assigned to do one thing. Redefine origin. Redefine the truth. Redefine how you see things. What is a woman? Should a 10-year-old child be able to transition into another sex with medicine and surgery without their parents' consent? Can a man get pregnant? But guys, I'm telling you, those are seem so simple. But the Spirit, it tells us why brilliant, smart people are believing things that are irrational. There's an all-out assault on the origin, the foundational truths that God has laid out for us. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome? If you're taking notes, principalities are overcome through prayer, not through logic and reason. Here's why I say that. The principality of the spirit that's at work, it cannot be reasoned with. You cannot use logic with it. That's why we see people in screaming matches. Instead of being able to sit down and logically have a conversation, they go automatically to screaming matches. That's why you can sit down and use logic and reason why. Hey, here's why a man is a man. Here's why a woman is a woman. Hey, here's why a 10-year-old shouldn't be allowed to make a life-altering decision, and yet to them it does not make sense. The enemy is after our identity. He's after destroying our God-given identity made in the image of God. Why? Because once you destroy the way we see man or woman, you can destroy all identities. Once you confuse them, they become soft clay that is moldable to whatever you want them to believe. God is not the author 
of confusion. But with that being said, let me say this, parents. If you've got a child that is struggling with same-sex attraction or gender, gender issues, let them know you love them unconditionally. You love them. I'm telling you, let them know, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you do? You need to stay rooted in God's word. You need to stay grounding and understand you're not fighting against a person. That person is not your enemy. You, we are battling a principality that will continue its assault to redefine the origin, redefine gender, sex, identity, and it will keep raining down confusion on us. So what do we got to do? We got to keep going back to the Word. We got to keep reminding ourselves, our children, who you are. You're a son, a daughter made in the image of God. God loves you. God, God loves you right there. And we've got to keep going back to that. Second thing we got to do, respond to the lies of culture and the evil one with God's truth. Remember what Jesus did when his identity was questioned? Remember, he went fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. What, how did the enemy come at him? Identity. If you're really the son of God, do this. If you're really the son of God, do this. And what was Jesus' response? It is written. He responded, I'm telling you. Next, we need to lead with love, but speak truth with grace. Let me tell you, I am not loving my friend, my coworker, my family member, those I go to. I'm not loving them well if I allow them to continue to live in a lie and I never speak grace and truth to them in love. I'm not loving them well. You know another way you can lead with love? Married couples. Build a great marriage. Build a great family. That is the most, to me, that is the most powerful response to the, to the attack that is going on to the origin of family right now is for you to build a powerful marriage and family and show your community, show others, your coworkers, friends, that what marriage and family were meant to look like. If I can get Bubba to come on up. Our actions will always speak louder than our words. Well, Kelly, what makes you think it's an identity issue? I don't know of anything else. Like, I don't introduce myself as, hey, I'm Kelly or Pastor Kelly and I'm straight. Yeah, but that's the identity people will tell you. I'm so-and-so, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm this. Why? Because they begun to take on the identity of who the enemy has told them they were. He has somehow in the process stripped them of who God says they are. And now their identity has become their sexual orientation. I want to end with this. In the concentration camps in the Holocaust, 
guy named Eli Weisel in his memoir, Night, describes his struggle with his identity and to keep it. He says, when I first entered the camp, I was an innocent child. I was a student of Talmud, a devout Jew. But the concentration camp began to strip me and my fellow Jews of our identity. They shaved our heads. They dressed us like everyone else. He says, I lost my innocence. I lost my faith in God. I was no longer a devout Jew or student of the Talmud. He said, I was no longer known by a name, only a number. No longer an individual. I was just a prisoner. Get this, he says, the longer we remained in camps, the more we, re- we were reduced to mere physical presence, losing ourselves to self-preservation instinct and eventually becoming simply hungry, nearly dead bodies. Why would they strip them of their identity? Why would they put them into a place where they no longer know who they are? Because when you can't remember who you are, that's when they can tell you who you are. I believe that's our biggest issue today. We no longer remember who we are. We no longer remember we've been created in the image of God. And now this principality can come in and say, now they're moldable. Now I can tell them who exactly I want them to be. And now they'll begin to identify with that. And with that, I can destroy not just one person, but families, generations. Stand with me across this room. Look at me. I have to ask you one question. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were gay? Who told you you were bi, transgender? Who told you that? Who told you you were something or someone other than what God, your creator, told you you were? Because I can tell you, those those labels that God put on you, Father God didn't put them on you. He didn't tell you that's who you were. So who have you been listening to? What lies have you been listening to that has caused you to think, this is who I am? Because let me tell you, that is not who you are. God says you're a son, you're a daughter, you're one of his children, and you are dearly loved. For God so loved the world. I believe God wants to do something in here right now. I mean, I really do. Let me tell you this. There's no need to be embarrassed, ashamed. Because I'm telling you, until you acknowledge where you're at, you can't get healing. You can't get freedom. I just keep going, who told you that? Was it something that happened to you when you were a child? Someone touched you in ways they should never have touched you. 
Someone used you in ways that they never should have used you. And then the lies began to creep in telling you, this is who you are. You enjoyed it, didn't you? Secretly, you deserved it. I mean, what happened? Just because you maybe you 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 like to dress a little different, or you like different music, or in the interview I did with Jonathan, he talks about how he liked musicals and it was so different. So the label began to get put up on him. Oh, he's queer. He's gay. And after a while, how many knows you begin to believe the words that are thrown upon you? Online, who told you? Who told you you were gay, queer, transgender, transsexual, lesbian? Who told you that? Because your father did not tell you that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. you're here and you know I say you know what pastor if I'm being honest I struggle with same sex attraction or I struggle with a gender identity issue and I've just thought well that's the way it is that's just who I am you're telling me that I was created in the image of God and that my father is looking down saying you're my son my daughter I love you dearly if you're telling me that God can heal my mind God can heal my heart that God can heal memories of things I've done or it's been done to me I want that if that's you just raise your hand come on come on don't be ashamed don't be embarrassed because I believe you're here same sex attraction you're dealing with some hurt over some let me say this maybe you're dealing with some hurt of some things that were done to you as a child maybe you were molested maybe you were abused and the memory just sticks with you and you want healing of that let you raise your hand come on yeah yeah absolutely thank you for your bravery come on where else where else I believe God wants to do some healing I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. And this is going to be a big ask, I know. Because this is a sensitive subject. But I'm going to tell you, until we acknowledge where we are, God can't redirect us. God can't heal us. God can't do anything. Until we acknowledge, okay, this was done to me, or this is where I'm at. And I'm telling you, listen, prayer people of prayer begin to pray. Father, right now, I pray you would let down walls, that walls that have been put up, 
expecting this altar service. They put up walls. They put up guards. Or, they, or the enemy is lying to them, telling them to be ashamed, to not raise their hand or not go up or not do it. I come against that. And they need to know they are dearly loved, that they are dearly accepted. They are dearly wanted. They are a son and daughter of yours. And they matter to you and they matter to me. So I come against those lies. I come against and I pray that the courage would just well up inside of them and they would acknowledge where they're at. Where they're at. If you raise your hand for any of the things I ask, step out and make your way. I believe God wants to hear you. Right now, come on, come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm telling you, God's going to do some healing. There are others. There are others. Come on. Maybe you say, well, Kelly, I didn't raise my hand. I'm telling you, God is wanting to move. I'm going to ask them to sing the verse and chorus of this song. And then I'm going to come back, but 